Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. This week, the roller coaster seems to be going back up, kind of. I've got Ash and Tom with me to discuss how much we love Rodrigo Bentancourt and how much we hate VAR with every fibre of our beings. Tom, welcome back. It's been a minute. Um, on a scale of one to Amsterdam, how good was that last minute winner on Saturday? I, it was so good. I mean, I would. would you take... Uh, that sort of 3-2 over like a, a calm 1-0 win. Would you, like, would you rather that? I would, 100%. I was discussing this with Ollie, actually. And like honestly, I will sit through 90 minutes of hell because I do feel like that feeling, there's nothing like it. I mean, provided you actually get that goal right and it's actually allowed. Um, it is, in fact, the best feeling. And yeah, I think... It's, I think it's probably up there, maybe not quite like Leicester levels but from last season, but it's pretty good. What do you think, Ash? Yeah, I'll definitely take the um, the last-minute winner over a, a drier one nil. I, I celebrated very hard when um, when that went in, and I just sort of was just sticking it to all the Conte outers in my, my various Spurs WhatsApp groups, of which there are very many. I love that so much. I feel like that was like the first thing you put in our group as well. Just like, fuck you, Conte outers. I said it at two, which was a bit brave. <laughs> I, went, I went really, really early. <laughs> yeah, Did I mean, you guys watch it? Those people are mental, aren't they? Like, the Conte outers yeah. really come I, on. I watched it on my dodgy, my dodgy box, which, yeah, I shouldn't say out loud, but. <laughs> well listen they don't give us any other options so. I know these 3 pms it's just difficult mm-hmm. it was I, um, quite ghastly though I only saw the uh, match of the day highlights obviously and was kind of stressfully following it via text and mm-hmm. um, refreshing the the uh, app and Twitter uh, like I guess I get why 
he had to he had to rotate people at some point. I guess we. I think we've commented before. I certainly have spoke to people that it's bizarre how little Conte has been rotating, um, given how many games we've got and how he clearly only trusts. He doesn't trust anyone. He doesn't trust some of the new signings. He doesn't trust everyone essentially. Um, but yeah, that the kind of team selection in that first half was obviously. Uh, a bit weird, and I think a lot of people immediately went, "Well, Keith Kiefer Moore's going to have a, a field day here, isn't he?" Like, how bad was that first half, then, Ash? Given that you w- watched it all, really bad, very, very, very bad. And it's weird because we um, we were talking in our sort of text group like throughout the game, getting like I get more agitated bizarrely when I'm not at a ground watching it. I get like more annoyed and. Um, it kind of felt like we would never, we were never going to score. And then we did score and it was like, I felt immediately that we would win. It was just like a really weird feeling because the goal came from nowhere. But the first 45 was painful. And yeah, at one point I was kind of worried that like we may like be seeing the last of Conte. It kind of had that sort of end of days feel like, and I think a lot, I don't know, it's like weird. I think back to like the last two or three years, like even... I know we mentioned Amsterdam at like the top of the podcast and it's like, even that game, which has like now become infamous, we just started so slowly. Like, and it just, it just never ends. And I'm like, what, there's something wrong with these players that they just continue to start games so slowly all the time. And clearly like Conte's not telling them to just like, you just go out and have a laugh for like half an hour. Like, I don't know what's going on, but they have to sort it out because it's killing us. It really is like, it's a huge, huge, huge problem. Do you think when a, when a manager makes that decision to rest people that like it's in their mind that they're going to have to bring the grown-ups on at some point to to like rescue it or you know I guess Conte is hoping that he can rotate that much and we still put in a professional professional performance but we we couldn't could we I don't even feel like it's the fact that they're like the sort of they're not even really like the second string because I think the same the same exact thing happened the Wednesday before and I think one of the things I found most maddening and I don't I don't know if it was like this so much on Saturday I just assume it was because I didn't get to see much of it except for the match of the day highlights we were out um, with the kids and Ollie was trying to sort of watch it on his phone um, which isn't the greatest way to follow a football game especially one that's going really badly but it was just the fact that on Wednesday at least, they all, they were just all stood still for like a good 45 minutes, right? And that's that's like the starters, that's the first team. And I'm just like, I don't understand why none of you are running anywhere. Yeah, there's a real lack of urgency. They don't, the biggest problem as well, well, not the biggest problem, there's so many problems, but they just don't move the ball quick enough. So it just becomes this really lethargic thing of them just like, going back home, passing it back around the back. And like, as soon as we did move the ball quickly, like we scored straight away. (laughs) Like it was, it's like instant. And I'm just like, why, where was that for like the previous like 50 minutes? It's just, it's just, it is quite odd. And to answer your question, I mean, like some of the grownups already on, like Kane, who's like, I know he's not the captain, but probably the the player that other players would look to. He's on the pitch and, nothing sticking up front son was like anonymous hoiberg who's like you know one of the leaders didn't really like see him for like the first hour so it's i don't know it's slightly 
weird and it's like weird that dire you know i had my issues with dire like came on and like made a huge difference obviously benson who's been probably the player of the season came on and of course made a huge difference but yeah it's not like it was a bunch of like children like out on the pitch so it's just yeah it is um yeah i don't i don't get it and it's painful to watch our like arch rivals start every game quickly and score like it seems like in the first five minutes every game when we can't like really ever get started it's weird was- I can sort of hand wave it away a little bit, I think. Sorry, Tom. I'll just, because just while this is a, it's sort of in my mind, because I think I can understand, maybe actually I can sort of understand Wednesday a little bit psychologically, because it had been two really bad games and I can, and I can sort of think, oh, maybe it was nerves and you don't, you just don't want to get caught, right? Um, and so, they actually started playing a lot better on Wednesday once we were 1-0 down because it, I, I almost feel like Conte must have just told them at halftime, this is not a brilliant football team. You're making them look like champions. You're 1-0 down already. You've got nothing to lose. Go out remember that you can actually play football properly and just pressure them a little bit and they will concede chances. And they conceded so many chances. We had like, it felt like we had about 50 corners. So... And I imagine the same thing happened on Saturday where you just thought, actually, I think, I think we're going to, well, yeah, once we score, once we pressure them, they give up the ball and we can actually win this game. So I sort of psychologically, I guess, in isolation, I get it, but it's just like, but then I do also have that worry that you have, Ash, where it's just like, these are just the same players who have been kind of doing this on and off for years. We also um, spoke, didn't we, about, how Conte might need to play that the three-five-two or the five-three-two, however you want to uh, do it. Um, but it seemed like that first half at Bournemouth that we like there was just no creativity in midfield, and there's no one joining, uh, like linking with Kane and Son, right? Um, and playing three defensive mi- midfielders at Bournemouth is just kind of depressing as well, right? Yeah, he had like skip like playing in like the weirdest position. He was sort of like on the right of the midfield and he ended up in sort of a lot of the positions that like Kulisevsky would end up in. So he was like, and like his crossing was just dreadful. And I think like quite rightly he was, and it's maybe not his fault. I'm I'm sort of not the biggest Skip fan, but it probably is not his fault, but he like got subbed at halftime. And you just think like, I don't know, like the positions that they're playing in were honestly like bizarre. Like there was just no need to like play him in that position and then have like Basuma and Hoy, but like, it was just, I was just like, this is unnecessary. Like Bournemouth, like, with all due respect to like, that's like the same team that they came up with essentially, like bar a couple, like we should just like be able to beat them. And it's, it's frustrating because you get the likes of a Sanchez who like, you know, he's, he's a 40 million pound defender and he just like been made to look like really average. And yeah, I just think, um, some of those players now just have to be moved on because we're just seeing the same like mistakes again and again, sadly. Also, if we're playing those, if we're playing three centre mids, what's been great, what's worked when we've done that is just that Rodrigo, but with the Benton Cook can get further up the pitch and, you know, can be the creative midfielder. But there's, and Hoybier's had brilliant moments this season, but he's not, it doesn't seem to be, quite as uh, creative or as calm on the ball as old uh, Rodrigo. He was, uh, 
I loved that he got he got the winner on uh, on Saturday. I mean, he got the winner on Wednesday. To be honest, oh no, hang on, I was Kane, wasn't it? He got the equaliser, the equaliser on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say let's kind of talk about Rodrigo a bit later, but I was also going to say so we kind of know what went wrong, and is what went right just as simple as you bring on Rodrigo Bentancur. Perhaps, yeah. Like he he didn't make such a big difference. And um yeah, the tempo just like went up a gear and we started to like really play football. So yeah, he's having an amazing season. He's been the player of the season so far. Like I think I think you always have to include Kane because he's sort of like what he's doing has become normalized. But yeah, Benton Core is just is insane and we can't seem to play any football without him, which is deeply concerning. I mean, we always did have that a little bit, I think, back in the day with Poch one under, you know, like when Dembele suddenly became like the Dembele that we all remember. Like it did get a bit, we can't play properly without him. So we always have had those players where if they are missing, we just kind of go to pieces a little bit. It's just quite surprising how quickly it's happened with Benton Kerr, isn't it? It's just been like January. That's not even a year. That's absolutely crazy. And he... Like we can't, yeah, we can't manage without him. And I think I didn't really realise that until this week. I mean, it also shows the magic of, of Paratici as well, doesn't it? Because we, the other player, obviously, who we've been saying we can't manage without is Kulu. Um, again, like he's been missed so much in the last week. And I think he was warming up at Bournemouth, right? He wasn't in the squad, but he, he was out on the, on the pitch having been made to do drills on the on the Bournemouth pitch which is pretty amazing I don't know how many football clubs do that or how often that happens really um I love that I thought it was a bit like just get out there because the fans like need something to feel good about oh, I mean, yeah it's, amen it's great and it's it, please lord let him be able to uh at least be on the bench on Tuesday but I, I don't know but um yeah I him and Bentoncourt are was such incredible buys. And I think we, you know, we were saying recently as well, Bentancourt and Hoybier are, are undroppable um, or the first names on the team sheet usually. But again, you, you, you see why he had to rotate on Saturday and thank God it, um, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. I mean, hopefully some of those players aren't going to be like too knackered for Tuesday. Oh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about Tuesday in a minute, I guess. Um, because it's a little bit scary. What about talked Ash? Talk to me about um my French king Clement Longley because he sounded like it sounded like he was a little bit wobbly, but then was fine. He started well, and then on the first goal, sort of got rolled, and it all went horribly wrong. Um, but I thought he like he grew into the game. I thought he did fairly well. He's sort of playing in like. I don't know if that's an unnatural position for him, but it's definitely a position that like I haven't seen him play for Spurs, filling in for Dyer. Um, and I said it in the group, but like, or maybe it was somewhere else, but just playing alongside like Davies and Sanchez just like didn't help. They like both like had very poor games. Um, even though Davies did like pop up with like a crucial goal, but they were really poor, like Sanchez, especially like. I always sort of try and stick up for Sanchez. And like, as soon as I do, he just does something absolutely mental, which is like waiting for the first goal. I just was just so shocked by it. 
just like throwing himself when he had no chance of like winning the ball or I don't know. I don't really know what he was doing. And then the second goal, yeah, sort of seemed unaware that like a very tall man was like attacking a football in like the six yard box, just like equally bizarre. And then had the audacity to like blame Royale. Um, they were having really a right, I, again, I only saw the highlights, but they were having a right row after the after the second goal, weren't they? Royale and Sanchez. Yeah, yeah, on the floor, by the way. Yeah, they were both sat down, down, weren't they? they yeah, were, he's four, <laughs> It was honestly like <laughs> absurd. Like Sanchez had made like a very like lame attempt to get the ball and like had sort of tripped over some like someone's leg somewhere and like was on the floor like pointing and shouting at someone. And it's like, mate, you're the centre back. Like, deal with it. So please, Lord, yeah. get him a move in January. Like, come on. I and and I think all three of us have tried to defend Sanchez at different points on the podcast. But um, as you pointed out, Ash, 40 million quid, 40 million pounds. And again, things worked out in the end. But we not, teams just target him and Royale on that right-hand side. It's bonkers. And that every time we play anyone, when those two starting, they get targeted so badly. And you like teams know how to play against them. I just have this thing with Sanchez where it's like every time he starts or like comes on, it's like watching like my child and being like, oh my God, please don't screw up in front of all these people. And it's just not a great way to feel about one of your centre-backs, is it really? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, but I do also think, that said, um, I do also think, we've, we've said this, we've said this so many times as well, and it's like you can't play... I think just Sanchez at least just doesn't thrive in in unfamiliar surroundings or so if you put someone who's not dire next to him or if you put like or there's just too much chaos with him and Emerson together down that right so I just I don't know yeah you're right I sort of said you can't you can't play them both and I and I don't I just feel like it does hang them both out a little bit to dry. And I don't the right wing back situation is now becoming quite weird, isn't it? it like Tom, you were saying, is it now time for us all to become I mean, there's this, yeah, there's this Spence Truther kind of thing on, on Twitter, isn't there? On Spurs Twitter where people are really petitioning at for, for Spence to start. And I know journalists have kind of asked Conte a lot about, about Spence. But on Wednesday night, actually, against um, Sporting, uh, when Emerson did his no-look pass and passed it out, uh, that was right in front of me in the south stand. And poor Spence was about two yards from Royale when that happened, warming up um, near the southwest corner. Um and you're like, the poor guy, like Spence must just be thinking, what do I need to do? Why is he so, being so loyal to Royal? Yeah, am I really that bad in training for not to be able to get, get on the pitch? It's, um, yeah, it's totally, totally bizarre. And I think all of us kind of uh, tried to allow Royal some um, breathing room or tried to give him the benefit of the doubt uh, but I think we're all over him now, aren't we? For sure. Well, I think he just didn't he actually like boot the ball out of the stadium on Saturday. He did, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> wasn't that also <laughs> Ash wasn't how how have we got another one of these absolute clowns I just he was really like when I heard that had happened and then I when I saw it he was so close to goal like I'd presumed it was like you know near the halfway line and he's just booted it and it's like but he was he was in a good position just booted it out the stadium right over the stand yeah I, I don't know how it's possible but he he did it um is it the right back thing's weird because I always was like got angry at Carl Walker for sort of like lapses of judgment he did and and then he got sold and then I I got given who is it like Serge or someone and I was like okay, he's, a, he's an absolute idiot as well. And someone will come in that's better. And then like, you just get Emerson. You're like, how is this happening? It's just like, so maybe Spence shouldn't come in because maybe it's just all downhill forever. I don't know what will happen, but I think, I actually, I actually think we might see Spence against Forrest in the cup. That's, that's my like guess of when, when it might happen. But you're yeah, right. That um, makes sense, actually. Post Carl Walker, that position has been cursed for us, so... Maybe. It's mad, isn't it? Because you're right. We did all we did all get quite sort of angry at Walker. I mean, I just like I remember there were always people around me who were just always basically calling him a massive idiot. And I don't, you know, he obviously wasn't. He just did have brain freezes, but he just had the pace to make up for it. That was the thing. And then under Poch, he did become like an exceptional defender as well, I think. And it's just like we could honestly, we couldn't have foreseen how badly that the post Walker like era would go. So I do, you're right. I do also fear for Spence a little bit. I don't, I will say this. I don't think Emerson Royale is as bad as Serge Aurier. I'll die on that hill and I may have to. <laughs> That's a debate. I, I, I don't know. It's a, it is a weird one, but I do. Um, I'm, I, I want to see Spence, but I also am not willing to die on the Spence hill. That people uh, are yeah, ready to force out. <laughs> like he, he can't be that good. Like he's more likely to be sort of I don't know another Jack Clark than probably you know the next Carl Walker, shall we say? I don't know. We'll see. But hopefully the latter. On um, underperforming wingbacks as well, or may- not underperforming, maybe inconsistent is the word. Um, it was interesting that. I mean, Davis and Sess weren't playing particularly well, but then got the got the two goals, didn't they? Um, and Sessignon's goal was really well taken. Was it Hoybier? It was a Hoybier ball, right? That was yeah. like an absolute beauty of a of a through ball. Um, how like how was Sess the rest of the game? Because good on him for getting a goal. I thought he. Was, I hate to be really negative, but he was also really bad. Um, and then sort of like popped up with a goal out of it was like honestly bizarre. We were like cussing him out, and then it's like, oh, Sessignon scored, oh, Davis has scored. Um, just like really mugged us all off. But um, it was nice for him to score that kind of goal because like when you see the old like Fulham highlights when he was sort of this like young wonder kid, he used to just like score that goal every week. So I don't know, maybe going forward, I, I quite like Sessignon, but he just, I don't know, like just comes across as a bit of a weakling in like the tackle and like gets mugged off the ball all the time it's a bit weird 
Well, I'm just going to just move on past that, to be honest, <laughs> and just say that one of the things I really appreciated about Saturday was how bad it was for um, loads of people's narratives. So it was quite, so as you pointed out, Ash, it was quite, it was quite bad for the sort of anti-Seth and anti-GB narrative. Um, it was also terrible for the Conte out narrative, I think, which had been, uh, understandably, I, no, understandably or not, I don't know. Um, but it had been like gathering pace quite frighteningly. And I, one of the things like Saturday in particular was such a like roller, like that was a real roller coaster of emotions because I think at half time I was so furious. I was furious at the team and I was just furious with like life itself for just proving. I just so didn't want it to be true that our football is unsustainable and the wheels were going to come off and it was all just going to go to pieces like it did under Jose. I just didn't, I didn't want that to be true. And I didn't want anyone who's been saying it to be right. And, you know, and you can just feel it all just kind of closing in on you. So I was just, so the joy of the last minute win was, I think, just made like, that just made it a million times better for me. We like that. That first half was terrible, and we shouldn't be going two 0 down to Bournemouth, even even away to Bournemouth. But what's been frustrating me about it pre before uh, uh, before Bournemouth earlier in the week is I've got neutral fans, not even Arsenal fans, but neutral mates saying, "Oh, your fans won't won't Conte out," and I'm like, "We're third in the league. Like it, it. We can't want Conte out. We're a ridiculous club." Like, and it just makes us look so totally silly to want Conte out when we're third in the league, doesn't it? And on top of our Champions League group, like, despite, like, what happened, like, in the previous, like, couple of games, like, we're in really, genuinely, like, we're in really good shape, like, going into, like, if we, like, especially if we get a result in the next two, like, Premier League games, like, we're in all competitions still. We're, like, approaching the, like, halfway point um, of the season and, like, we haven't really got started. Like you haven't seen like Son at all, really, like aside from like maybe like one or two games, like Kane's got his goals, but like Kudasevsky has been like, obviously like injured, like things probably will only get better. So I think let's just give him like time. Like he got us fourth. He's only been here a year and he's like had to deal with like some horrendous players and some like really shit situations. So I think it's absolutely insane to like want him out. And I don't know, like we've had like a couple of years of, you know, since the end of Pock, the football hasn't really been good. And I just think at some point we've got to stick with a manager. Um, like Arteta got pelters and for a while and everyone was like, trust the process. And now they're annoyingly winning like 5-0 and going top of the league. So let's just give him time and let's get him better players. Like he made all the right subs, I think at the weekend and like changed the game. Everyone was like, he needs to change it early. He did. He changed the formation. It worked. So I'm sort of fully like in the Conte camp for sure for the, for the time being. Yeah. And I've got to say, I absolutely loved the second half on Wednesday night. Like I had a genuinely great time. It was the first time I've been to back to football with my dad since before COVID and I really just wanted to see a Champions League game because who knows if we will still be in it after Tuesday. And as bad as the first half was, 
I just loved the second half. I just thought we really, really went for it and fully, fully deserved what should have been a win. And we were just like fucking brutally, brutally robbed of it. And honestly, I just like, like VAR has to go, right? That we were celebrating that goal for like a good five minutes or like, well, we celebrate, we all celebrated it wildly as you should, because you think you've won the game. And then we had to wait for five minutes while they essentially like, I'm sorry, I know this makes me sound a bit tinfoil and a bit the Arsenal, but they were looking for a reason to rule it out. I swear to God they were, because you can't, because you can't tell me that is like a clear and obvious mistake if you're looking for it for five minutes. The whole thing was insane. Like generally on Wednesday was, uh, it was a strange game, wasn't it? Because like you said, the first half was some of the worst I've seen us play in, in ages. And um, I, to be fair to them, I thought Sporting had a really good first half. Marcus Edwards was always going to score against us, wasn't he? Let's be honest. He, he was really good and he was just walking through our midfield and our defenders. It was it was ridiculous. We, we played so badly. I was furious at half time. And then that second half, we were absolutely brilliant. Their keeper, um, Sporting's keeper, had the half of his life. He was so good. We had so many chances. Um, and we should have we should have kind of won it earlier in that half, really. Um, but yeah, the VAR thing, we went, I was in the South Stand, the South Stand went absolutely mental. Um, when we scored the the last last second uh, winner, and then I just think, what is the point of football if if it, the match going experience? We, I paid sixty five quid to be there. Like I think most people have paid some stupid amount of money to be there, fifty quid plus to be in the ground. And what's the point if VAR in VAR if it kills the experience? for people actually at the match. Like four and a half minutes, we stood there waiting while, like you said, Rosa, the officials tried to find a reason to rule the goal out. There, there, was, there was no clear and obvious error there at all. It was a goal. It should have stood. Um, and, yeah, I don't want to... I don't ever get too tinfoil hat. I don't even... I don't like. I don't moan about refs, although the ref did have a pretty bad game generally against um, in that sporting game. But four and a half minutes for them to de- for them to decide it. Surely, at some point, someone needs to turn around and go. If it takes that long, like how can it be a clear and obvious error? Um, and yeah, what just what an awful experience for fans. You celebrate, you're fucking over the moon, you've won the match, you've qualified for the Champions League with the last kick of the game, and then you stand there for four and a half minutes going, well, they're going to rule it out. Oh, I'm furious about it still. And, um, you know, Conte, great that he got, got his red card. Like, he, should, it was, he was right to go mad. He was completely, and I don't think anyone can blame him at all because you just, it was that feeling, wasn't it? And I feel like as well, already we wait for a minute, don't we? Like VAR has ruined it enough that even when you're there, there's always that like brief moment where you go, can I celebrate this? And then you go, okay, fine, we're going to celebrate it. And then you go absolutely crazy. And then you just know the longer it goes on, the more you're like, this isn't going to happen for us. And it's just that most basic feeling, isn't it? We have absolutely been robbed. And I just don't, 
to, to send Conte off as well, I just, I, I can't, that, I get like, I'm like you, Tom, I just never want to get into the whole like ref situation. But like, he was apparently like smirking at the players and being just generally like a bit of a prima donna and just seeming to, I don't know, I am sounding a bit tinfoil now actually, <laughs> but just seeming to kind of relish it a little bit. And I just think, that's actually a massive, more than anything else, more than for what it means for us in the Champions League group or whatever. Just you've robbed us, all of those people, over 60,000 people in that stadium of that moment of just pure joy, which is the only reason we go to football. <laughs> like, that's what we're there for. And you yeah. took it from us. I also, um, a while back, I read something about the popularity of football or soccer in the US, right? And... It, there was something that it was only a brief line, but it said how football is like there it is lower scoring compared to so the other sports that they love in America: basketball, American football, baseball. Like you know, most games you're getting a few goals if you're lucky, uh, two or three goals. Like and and yet we've invented a way to to so that there are less i mean we get more penalties but var means there are less goals and oh, it's just i honestly think it's killing the sport and it's killing the sport for fans who go to games and then what is the point like no one as we saw during covid watching football where like football is playing empty stadiums is fucking awful so you know what we're already paying a fortune to go to these games you're giving us less joy, like, and yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, I saw the thing as well. So people saying, "Well, we'd probably be laughing if it was another club," and we would. But it, it, it happens to every club. It's indi- indiscriminate. Yeah. Every club gets these awful decisions go against them. I think. I think part of it, like you touched upon, is that it's geared towards TV, and it's really the the frustrating thing for me is like, and if you go to games, you'll know this that. The VAR thing happens, but there's no visual. So you're just sort of stood around like an idiot, like waiting for something to happen, which you can't see. You're you're getting annoyed because there's no communication. And I think if there was better communication, you'd almost be less angry about the decision. And I also think there should be a time limit on how long it should take. I think if like it takes X amount of time to make a decision, then it should be awarded to the attacker because... Ultimately, like you're stood around waiting. You're also we're dealing with like the Newcastle game the other day where the ball was barely in play. I think the ball was in play for something like 53 minutes in the Newcastle game. And all these small things are just like ruining the experience of going to matches where like people are coming to, you know, the bigger teams and they're just sort of time wasting from like the very first minute. And yeah, it just it does, it ruins it. And like to make working, not not all working class people, but working class, middle class people pay the, an extortionate amount to have the experience ruined by like time wasting and VAR, it kind of just takes the shine off going to these games. Yeah, it does. And, you know, especially now as well, where, you know, more than ever for all of us, like literally every penny that we have counts, to be honest. And it's just that the other thing is, Especially there's something about like goals getting ruled out after all of that deliberation for offside. And when they brought in offside, it was just to stop goal hanging. That's it, right? And then, so it's not meant to be this like weird thing of you can't have a fucking toe 
offside and you're meant to give the my understanding is you're meant to give the attacker the benefit of the doubt as well so it's just what is this all for why and I, I honestly we got to the point as well where like no, everybody hates it and you can say yes if it went for your team you'd love it sure if it goes for against a team you hate you'd be laughing of course but as a rule literally everyone hates it like fans hate it players hate it pundits hate it like who in, is in favor of this anymore? And you always get these dweebs writing articles about it the next day being like, oh, technically it was correct. I'm like, I don't care. Like football's not played by robots. I think Ash, what you touched on as well is that um, you feel like a mug when you're in the stadium and you're having to look at your phone and get texts or look at Twitter to find out if it's offside. Like there's nothing being shown on the, on the screens and you're just staring at the pitch. And the referee, like, has just got his fucking hand to his ear or whatever. You feel like an idiot. Like, why? We, we, it should be about the fans in the stadium. We've paid a ton of money to be there anyway. And not just that, though, because you're right as well. It is that we are the last people to be considered in any situation when we should be the first. And again, how has it already been forgotten? Like, you brought up the empty stadiums in COVID. Everybody hated that. We've just gone back to the way it was before and everyone's just pretended that that didn't matter. Fans don't matter. It's just maximum kind of telly interest is the most important thing. Um, the most important thing, though, is that we are still alive in our Champions League group. Right, guys? Um, how are we feeling about Tuesday? Ash, you got good vibes, bad vibes, just hope, whatever. Um hopeful vibes but i it's really sounds bizarre but i find it really difficult to get excited about the champions league group stage like at all um i haven't really like watched like much of any of the games aside from the one i went to and so i only really maybe this makes me sound spoiled but i only really engage like once we like make it to the last 16 if we make it to the last 16 but i feel like we, we're gonna do it like i'm hoping that um saturday was the kick up the ass that um the players needed um and i think conte sort of being banned will hopefully create like a bit of a vibe for us to go there and win that's a lot of champions league football you've missed out on if you don't really care about the group stages <laughs> i kind of got i kind of delve in and out depends on the game but yeah no fair enough i just i want to get through it i don't care what happens after that i just don't want to be back in europa like as i've always said that makes me so entitled um, I just, I want them to go into that game with like a massive chip on their shoulder about what's happened. That's sort of just to be up for it. Like, I feel like we never do that. We never do that proper siege mentality stuff. The world's against us and we're going to fight and we're going to win. And I just, I really want that. Can we do it, Tom? Yeah, no, I agree. I think we really need that. We need to carry the anger from uh, the sporting game into, into this game. Uh obviously away from home at a ground, I think. So is there, their main stand is like closed? Is that like punishment or is it being rebuilt or something? Um, I think, I think Mar Mar one of Marseille's stands, their sort of cop is closed. We're taking 2000 uh, fans apparently. Um, I think we could have taken more, but actually people are, people were too worried to apply for this one. So Firstly, I hope everyone who goes to that game stays safe because 
Uh, it sounds like it can be a bit hairy in Marseille. And I believe like fans have been told not to walk to the ground. They're being bussed from the port to, to Marseille Stadium and stuff. So that, that is obviously a big, uh, that's really important that our fans stay, stay safe. And then, yeah, we've got to carry that anger into the game. I'm not feeling confident because our away performances in the Champions League have been dire for a long, long, long time. But if we can like bounce off that goal that should have stood against Sporting, and then we've got you know the full first eleven or who, the fit first eleven starting, um, and Rodrigo Bentancur pulling the strings, then uh, fingers crossed. I yeah, we're like we, I think we deserve to go through now um, in the Champions League. So. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not confident. I'll be. I'll be really worried. But um, and and I think we'll the team will miss Conte on the sidelines as well, right? It's will it be his brother and Mace barking orders? I'm sure Rosa will love that. Yeah, yeah. It's like surely um, Ryan Mason will bring a very similar energy to the touchline. Um, I yeah, I, I don't actually know who who it's going to be, and I feel uh, yeah, I'm not really surprised. Like our fans were not super up for um, spending loads of money just to possibly be stabbed in Marseille. So it's a bit of a hairy one, isn't it? Um, we just need a draw. Famous last words. And we should be through anyway. Like we absolutely should be. We should be top of the group. I mean, we're top of the group anyway, but we should be like fully top of the group and through no worries. So it would be so, so, so unjust. I mean, these things happen. But can we just play from the first minute? And then surely Agreed. we could get something. It's not much to ask to play like the first half of a football game. You wouldn't um, think so. Yeah. They are meant to be 90 minutes long. Yeah. Simple request. <laughs> but let's see if we can do it. What about the following? This is it, actually. I want them to just not even like we're going to think about the next game, Liverpool right now. But I don't want them to, be, to have that in their heads at all. I just want them to go out there and just be like, this is it. This could be our last game ever. Let's just fucking put everything on the line. Um. But how do we feel about Liverpool? I was watching some of their hilarious loss um, against Leeds the other day. And honestly, especially like Leeds' first goal, like their defence, like absolutely, it like split their defence with like a perfect ball to run onto. I was like, if, if Sun was actually like properly on form, we could really take advantage of that and actually possibly do something really good against Liverpool. But I have to say, I'm not really confident because we just, our record against Liverpool is just crap, isn't it? I watched most of that Leeds, the Liverpool-Leeds game, and they're really not that good this season, are they, Liverpool? Uh, Really? Obviously, like, Salah can always um, punish you um, and their full-backs can put in a ball. But they were really bad against Leeds and they've had some terrible performances all season. I hate Jurgen Klopp so much. I think he's such a fake, nice guy. I think, I don't really know, you know, I guess if he's your manager, you love him, but he's such a brat. When he loses, he's like the worst loser. Like maybe the worst of all the managers in the league, he's the most petulant prick when Liverpool lose. Um, so I would love to beat them, but yeah, they desperately need a win or a, or a big result against us. Uh, so yeah, I, it could go, 
it could go either way. But yeah, generally, they're just not as good as, like, they're nowhere near as good as they were last season. Yeah, I can't wait for Klopp to flounce. And I'm quite confident that he will this season, actually. Um, because it just seems like he sort of hit that point. He's about, what, like five seasons in now? Something like that. And it's just, they're all burnt out, aren't they, really? Um, and you're right, he's so graceless. And I don't mind being a bad loser, like kind of amongst your people. But don't be a bad loser, you know, in front of everybody. It just makes you look really weird. Um, I hope Romero is back for that one because it doesn't sound like he's going to be involved on Tuesday, right? No, I kind of get the vibe. He's sort of just tapped out now until the World Cup. That's just the energy that you get from him and most Argentinian players. Yeah, Are there any other Argentinians in the league like who are going to the World Cup? I was trying to think. It feels like it's just him. There must be others. I'm not sure. I kind of, um, I was away in Greece, so I missed a lot of stuff. Like I, I watched some of the, most of the United game and, uh, uh, but I tried to kind of switch off. So I totally missed the, like the quotes about Romero, but was, is Conte basically suggesting that he's, he's feigning, uh, illness to kind of, uh, bit stay fit for the World Cup. Conte said something that was a bit, um, I think he he said something on the lines of that he had muscle fatigue and that the player said he wasn't available. But then he then went and started the Newcastle game, I think. So he kind of came back and then was out for the next one. And I don't know what happened in between. But um, yeah, we need him because we can't see Sanchez again because that's just asking for like a disaster. Um, and I think with Liverpool... It's kind of annoyed that they what that they lost the Leeds game because it kind of feels that I don't know Liverpool seem to like raise their game against like the big teams and they did really well against City so I expect like it's going to be tight and I, I I thought the game the game at, at our ground last year we were amazing and we should have beat them and I think it was like two all um, so I just feel like we owe them some we owe them like one. Because um, the past few games have played really well. So I would love to just like win the last two Premier League games, go into the break in like third and like, yeah, in, in like striking distance of like the title, which I know is like, feels like a dream the way we're playing, but like it'd just be amazing to go into the break with that. I think given the, um, how competitive it is for top four now, like we're talking just after United. I just watched some of United West Ham, uh, and West Ham should deserve a draw for sure. De Gea saved them at the end of that game, but yeah, United are back. Chelsea are totally inconsistent, but Newcastle have got one game a week now to the to the end of the season and infinite cash. Like it would be a huge statement for us to just be in the top four before that World Cup break, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, like we've got to be honest. If they're if they're serious about trying to do anything this season, we've got to win those last two games. But it is sort of, I mean, Liverpool will definitely, definitely raise their game against us, and that's kind of always been what they've done. Like they tend to lose against like really crap opposition, and then like they've always been more successful. They've been like the most successful out of like the top six in beating the other top six. I think under Klopp, so. 
uh, yeah, it's not it's not looking that great for us, but it's just like we always say, isn't it? And I know they've let us down so, so, so often, but if they're serious, and this is what makes the Romero stuff so frustrating, but if they if they want to do something at all this season, like they got to turn up. They've just got to turn up. Like, we've got enough to be able to do it the way Liverpool are playing right now. God. They are very, very shaky. I've said this uh, like a few times, but please, could Kulu be back for for Liverpool? Please. Uh, what's also worrying that Sunday? It's like Sunday four o'clock. Um, Going to meet up early, have a few beers. Uh, could be a lovely day. Uh, but what's also worrying is the twelve o'clock next Sunday is Chelsea Arsenal as well, isn't it? So, if Arsenal win that, and then we don't perform against Liverpool. I'll be so depressed by the end of next Sunday. I mean that that ridiculous that like the Chelsea Arsenal game. Ollie calls that the Kumbaya derby because it is a proper like. Oh, how are you feeling today, guys? Would you like some points? Who needs them? Like what? And I genuinely feel like every year it's whatever screws us over the most is like the result that happens. So I don't have high hopes for that one. I would just like put that one in the bin already it's just one of those things isn't it we've we had like a very bad week we've had a pretty good week it's just like who knows was it just could go either way we could have another great week or we could have like a terrible week and it's just honestly I wouldn't be confident in making any kind of prediction for anything no you can't not with the way that they're playing it's like they, they play like one shocking half of football and then concede and then start playing and I think Conte even alluded to that in his quotes after the game. I think he said something on the lines of the players need to like basically put into practice like what we're doing in training and like play from the first whistle and like stop sort of being scared to attack. Um, so if we actually attack from the minute one, maybe we'll actually win a game easily. Which, to be honest, we have also done in the past against Liverpool. So I wouldn't, I would also not be surprised to see us really, really go for it. He did say something about um, our players lacking confidence, right? Didn't he? I thought, isn't that kind of your job to make them believe? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I'm a Conte believer, but from you, Antonio. Yeah, well, Bournemouth, it was also weird that he was like, I wasn't, I wasn't angry at half time. I told them they were, they sort of, was very gentle with them by the sounds of it at half time, and uh, yeah, just said they needed more confidence. But even though it was, yeah, it was terrible. Second game in a row that we've just been absolutely awful for an entire first half. Anyway, should we move on to a team that like was not awful at all? Yes, that was very Please. smooth. Smooth, <laughs> and also, also. Charlie's not here, so no one's making us do predictions for uh, exactly for Liverpool or Marseille mm-hmm. as well. So we're we just can... we're just going to say we're worried and we hope for the best. The totally end. skip that bit. Yeah. <laughs> so to a team that yeah, tell us about the team that are absolutely smashing it or did on Sunday. Yep, Tottenham Hotspur women. Um, last week uh, we were humbled by Man City at home, and I had a rant about um, how the club needs to spend some money and. Um, just actually invest in the squad. And this week uh, they went out and won 8-0 at, away at Brighton. 
um, who aren't who are not doing great and who are like now quite close to the bottom of the league, but also aren't mugs and like Hope Powell's their man, the former England manager. Hope Powell is their coach, so she's obviously um, got a lot of pedigree. So it was it was I feel like that was quite a shock result, and I watched the second half, and we were already four 0 up by that time, and it was just honestly one of those games where. Every time we went forward, we pretty much scored a goal. I don't think their goalkeeper made a single save. And what was lovely was everybody was involved. So we scored really, really early um, with a Molly Barchip goal. And then one of the new signings, um, Nikola Karczewska, got her goal. I don't know if that's her first league. Maybe it's her second league goal. Um, But then after that, it was like, Two for Drew Spence, two for Jess Naz, and obviously two for our Queen Ash Neville. So it was just like a glorious, glorious day all round. And now I feel a bit silly, basically. There were some lovely goals as well. Old, uh, was it an Ash Neville masterclass? I think it was just all of them, to be honest. Like she scored two good goals, but I think um, Jess Naz's goals were probably the best. At least one of them um, was just like a lovely, lovely shot. Um, but also one of them was like that classic goal that happens when the other team is just has gone to pieces because she pretty much like chipped the goalkeeper from almost like the halfway line, <laughs> which is just one of those things that is just going to happen when the other team's gone to pieces. But I do feel like it was, they all played really well. And I think it was just a great sign to kind of give them all more confidence. And again, last week I was complaining about the amount of injuries we had, but I think this week actually two of our injured players came back. So I feel a lot more confident now. Um, Next week is Everton, but we've got them at home. So I feel pretty good about that, to be honest. I think um, the only thing now is I honestly feel like it's getting more and more ridiculous. And I, we talk about this all the time. It's more and more ridiculous that Ash Neville has not got one single call up to the England squad. I just, I don't really understand it. And it now, it just makes it all start to look like a weird kind Why of flows. I think a lot of it is she didn't come as apparently she didn't come through the England setup. Like she hasn't played for any of like the youth squads and that's where they've taken most of them from. But if you look at the England team, it is just all from the kind of the top four. I think there's maybe now there's like one player from Everton and then Rachel Daly, who just transferred to Villa. So it just makes it look like a real clique and it doesn't really feel like it's being done on merit. I think like, what do you know what I mean? Like we've had some, like the England men's side have had some, terrible players who've just got like one cap so come on man just give Ash Neville a go anyway I complain about this like basically every other week so maybe I should let it go but it is very annoying because she is honestly so brilliant and we're not you know we're not like the best squad around but I think she is kind of levels above everyone else so anyway the most important thing to take away from that I feel like is that as ever with any Tottenham team 
you say one thing and then the next week they prove you completely wrong. And at least this week I was proved wrong in my negativity rather than the other way around. So thank you for that, Tottenham Hotspur women. Nice. <laughs> We've also got Chelsea coming up as well, I see. Uh, one of the like 10 times we play Chelsea. Uh, the women's Ignore team. it. Pretend it's not <laughs> happening and then it'll be over. <laughs> Shall we move on to culture? Tom... Uh, have you managed to consume anything or have you just been swanning around in Greece having a glorious time? That's also fine. You're allowed. Um, I no, I was swanning around in Greece. I When we were away, I consumed uh, the Nathan, uh, what's his name? Nathan Fielder thing. Um, the rehearsal, which was in absolutely mental. <laughs> just Did fun. you like it? Or because I was like, I can't watch it. I just don't feel like I can watch it. But like, Ash, you're a big fan. As I find way. his like weird awkwardness like very funny, but yeah, I, I, I think it even works for you. Or... Yeah, yeah, it was very very intense. I quite liked the Daisy May Cooper thing um, that's on iPlayer. Shit. What's that? Uh, Am I being unreasonable? Uh, which is she's a mum. She's not. It's a very different um, character to this country, but I quite liked it. It was kind of intriguing. Uh, didn't blow me away. Uh, the Arctic Monkeys album, The Car, obviously fairly obsessed with that, like every um, 38-year-old beardy bloke. Really? Because uh, hasn't that, that one had some quite like weird, like mixed reactions, no? I mean, it's a, it's a, like the last one, Tranquility-based hotel and casino, it is basically an Alex Turner solo album. The rest of the band haven't got a huge amount to do. A lot of the songs are very stripped back and he's in kind of, David Bowie kind of crooner like snake hips uh, almost like Sinatra mode at times but the lyrics are brilliant uh, and there's a really good live show of theirs that was out on YouTube as well that was great and their Reading performance was great the album's good but it like you probably need 10 listens and then you're like locked in and the lyrics are brilliant um, and then just uh, I'm just like fully ensconced in Irish TV and film currently because I've been watching Bad Sisters on Apple TV with Sharon Horgan and uh, Anne-Marie Duff um, and Bono's daughter, who I really fancy Bono's daughter and it's made me totally question everything. Do I fancy Bono? I, I don't even like you too particularly, but his d daughter is gorgeous and re a very good actress. Eve Hewson, I think her name is. Anyway, I'm watching that, made me want to move to Ireland. And then I went to see the Banshees of Insurin, the new Martin McDonough film. In the cinema. Amazing, is it good? It is weird. So he obviously made In Bruges and uh, three billboards outside. Classic Tottenham movie, In Bruges, of course. Great. And a, like, <laughs> great, great film. Um, and so this film has the same leads, uh, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell as in Bruges, but it's weirder, sort of set in like 19, like in 23. Ireland. There you go, 1923 in Ireland. Um, and it's very slow and dark, I would say. But I did like it, but it's like way darker and slower than in Bruges and like three billboards. And what's the other one? He did seven psychopaths or something. Ash, did you saw it as well, right? Yeah, I, I sort of saw it and had no idea what it was about, like, when I arrived. So I hadn't seen a trailer, like, knew nothing about it. And, like, I left the cinema, like, slightly, like, 
confused about what just happened. And then like a day later, I was like, I kind of like that film. Like it was good, but it's so weird and dark. Like it's very, very, very odd. The, the, the cinematography is amazing. Like makes you want to move to Ireland. It looks absolutely yeah. gorgeous. But yeah, it's really dark. It's basically about their friends, aren't they? Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell are friends who fall out somehow and then it just gets darker. Well, they don't fall out without giving too much away. That's yeah. sort of the premise of the, the film. Like one of them doesn't want to be friends with the other one anymore. It's just kind of weird. This yeah. is weird. Brendan Gleeson's character wakes up and just doesn't want to be friends with Colin Farrell's character anymore. And then it just gets weirder and, and darker from, from there. But, They're yeah. such exceptional actors, those two. Like, Brendan Gleeson is obviously just elite. But I also, I love Colin Farrell's, like, the way his career has turned out from, like, the early days when he was going to be, you know, the, like, latest, like, sexy new guy. And then he was obviously like, I don't, I'm not really very good at this. I don't really like it. I may be a very good looking man, but I'm actually a bit too weird for this stuff. And just has kind of gone off on his own path and it works so well for him. Yeah, I think he, in this film more than anything else I've seen him in, he clearly doesn't really have an, an ego. It's not, there, there, it's not a sexy role in the slightest, but he's very, very good at it. Also your man, um, Barry Keown, that young lad, he is, I love him. He's so fantastic. He, so there's what well, there's like five people in that entire film, I think, but he is really, really good in it. Um, holds his own against Colin Farrell and, and Brendan Gleeson, which is obviously hard. And he's like insanely young, isn't he? Yeah, he's because what because he was in he was brilliant in Dunkirk, and then one of like the only good things in the the Marvel Eternals movie had like five minutes basically and was the only one who it was who was kind of compelling to watch the only one who had sort of any chemistry with any other member of the cast so I'm really I'm so pleased for him as well he's got he's got a very striking face I think as well He's really good. And I think you'll like this film as well, Rosa, actually. It's very stagey. Like, I mean, Martin McDonough is a is a play made his name as a playwright. I saw Hangman. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen some of his plays as well. They're Hangman. very bleak. Did you see Hangman? That was great. With... No, I saw oh God, is it the the beauty queen of Linan? I don't want to like butcher the name of the place. Um, that is a extremely harrowing watch like brilliant it's basically like a two-hander really but it's pretty bleak yeah i saw one of his plays called hangmen that was so good but the film is very, did you said, yeah it was really yeah. good wasn't it with david morrissey um in it uh but yeah the film is quite like it could be a play couldn't it the the banshees of incher and um ash for sure you but i think you'll like it rosa it's the start the cast are brilliant I'm excited. I'll just have to wait until that um, comes to a streaming service near me since I never, ever get to go to the cinema anymore. Um, Ash, what are you watching, listening to, etc.? Um, I was listening to this album. I don't know if I recommended this before, but this uh, lady called Izzy Wood, um, which I like, I know I spoke to you about, but her album called My Body, Your Choice um, is amazing. She's sort of famous. She's becoming famous as like, a painter and like an artist um and you know is showing all over the world but she just made this incredible album 
um like pr- probably one of like the albums of the year actually and it's sort of very much in that sort of how can i put it it's not too far from like a saint vincent it's like in that kind of vibe but um it's just a really special album and like yeah go and check the videos as well because they're absolutely mental as you would expect from her um and then obviously it's just been watching like uh house of dragons which was amazing and bleak at the same time and i'm sort of angry about it because i kind of felt the series just started and it's over and it's probably not coming back until like 2024 or five at this rate it's very annoying i know it drives me mad the way these things take so long i mean i guess it's a lot of money involved and a lot of time and it was the whole series was effectively a prequel to the sort of big action I guess without getting because we should probably wait until everyone's seen it and then we can just have a little bit at the end of one of the pods where we just really get into it and we can just tell everyone to not listen if they don't want to be spoiled but I really like I was quite I think we were all a bit disappointed with the penultimate episode weren't we and then um, the last episode I think was absolutely brilliant yeah now we're ready now we're doing it yeah yeah no like it ended really well and sets it up so perfectly and I think you or Billy recommended like the Ringer podcast, which I've like now become obsessed with like those two ladies who like know everything about everything. It's like the deep dive is incredible. Like, could you ever have like envisaged yourself listening to a podcast that was like four times as long as the thing you've just watched, but you'll do it. And it just, the time flies, man, because they just know what they're talking about. And it's fascinating. I don't know where I found the time to listen to it, but I've listened to (laughs) everyone. It's quite mad. They're so good. They're so good. Very impressive. Yeah. I'm just very, I'm really pleased with everything that they've done with this show. And I think kind of making so much of it from the perspective of the central women, there's so much that they've decided that they're just going to really dig into and the fact that they have these two brilliant actors playing Alison and Rhaenyra I think is such a gift really I think they're just both exceptional and they both carry it so 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 well so I just I I know that people have found it a bit slow going I personally haven't but I definitely am very excited for the next I mean when we finally get there um but for the like whenever the next season like finally arrives because it's going to get pretty intense um yeah that's all I've watched really and again strictly um Tom have you caught up with it or are you a bit like "Mm." yeah Halloween week was good they um they're like an improvement on the week before shall we say I missed that because I was in Greece but (laughs) don't go back and watch it everyone said it was awful it was awful Uh, kind of BBC themed dances 100 years of BBC yeah you've mentioned it um (laughs) anyway uh no Halloween week I mean all the dancers are of of a really high standard now I think um no one was terrible really and um yeah Oh, God, it pains me to say it, but even Tony Adams was quite... I know, he's improved. I mean, I don't watch his dances as a matter of principle, but it turns <laughs> out he's actually improved. <laughs> I mean, he could, it could be one of those things where he goes all the way, which, which I think, because I slightly, like, Fleur was in the dance-off again tonight, and I am now starting to get that sort of, is Strictly just actually a bit sexist and racist vibe again. 
which is a bit depressing, really. Well, that was really good as well. Mm. She was that dance was great. And old uh, you, the guy from CBBS has been excellent as well. Hamza is so good. So um, I'm, I'm going to just pin my pin our hopes on Ranger Hamza basically because I think he's the only one who might take it all the way. My culture pick for this week is South Londoners know about this gem, but other people may not. Uh, the Horniman Museum. Tom, I know you love it, but I was there. Was it yes? What day are we on now? Sunday. I was there yesterday. They did a sort of Halloween special fair thing um which was really nice but it just reminded me of how lovely that museum is it's got such a kind of eclectic collection and a butterfly house and um like an aquarium and all sorts of other crazy stuff i think when i was a kid and was really obsessed with ancient egypt they've got quite a lot of stuff there as well and like beautiful uh, big gardens for kids to run around in um if Anyone who listens to this is ever in South East London, in Forest Hill, I really recommend it. I think it's just such a quality, quality museum. I believe it was actually a museum of the year last year. So there you go. Many people agree with me as well. <laughs> I, love, I love that museum so much. It's an absolute godsend to South London parents. But also, if you've got kids and you live in London, you should also travel because it's worth, like, it's such a cute, lovely museum. Um the gardens are gorgeous as well, aren't they? And there's a really cool... Did you go in the music gallery? No, we were just outside that day. Oh, no. Nice. They, they have a music gallery as well. Yeah, there's there's music, so much in there. There's, there's a massive music gallery. There's a bit where kids can play play instruments as well. Uh, it's, like, it's so good for, for, uh, for parents, especially. I love that place. And also has like an amazing view. I think like I'd forgotten that as well. And you can just look out across yeah. London. London. Yeah. It's so good. Glorious. Um, any more picks from anyone or are we all good for this week? Okay. Um, guys, it's been a delight. I really, really hope when we meet again on the other side of this week, we have a lot to celebrate. If not, it'll be therapy. And so either way, we just can't lose. Right. Um, Tom, do you want to see us home? Yeah, why not? Up the Spurs. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.